0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm Austin Peterson, your host here, as always, in studio in Tempe, Arizona. Unfortunately, the best co-host in the, uh, in the business is not with us today for personal reasons, Uh, And I'll just say this, you know, this is a tough time uh, in the world. I think that we are not meant to be separated from one another. And so the the byproduct of of this pandemic is that people are are really struggling mentally. And so let this be an opportunity for you to reach out to a neighbor, to a friend that you haven't spoken with in a while, and just check in with them and see how they're doing. So unfortunately, Landon's not with us today, but we are excited to have a a tycoon uh, of small biz with us today, Dylan Bisha. Uh, Dylan's the CEO of Wyndham Security here in Arizona. Wyndham Security is uh, Arizona's first farm system for law enforcement, and they provide trustworthy and effective private security to local communities, municipalities, and police departments. So, Dylan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, we're excited to, to have this conversation. So before we jump into things, if if you're listening to this show for the first time today and you haven't heard our show before, just know that Tycoons of Small Biz is a radio program and a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. The intent of this podcast is to give small business owners here in our local community and nationwide an opportunity to share their story. The small business owner community in our country is truly the backbone of our economy, and Landon and I are big believers in that. We're multi-generational entrepreneurs, and and we want to, you know, we put this podcast on so that we have an opportunity or give an opportunity to small businesses to share their their story. And certainly, Dylan's got a great story. So, Dylan, before we jump into the business side of things, we typically have our, our guests tell a little bit about themselves personally. So, tell us where you grew up. Tell us a little bit about your family life growing up or, or now. You know, what, uh, what else, you know, kind of led you to where you are today?
2: Uh, sure. So, I grew up in uh, Northern California, uh, up in the mountains of uh, Santa Cruz Mountains. It's in between um, San Jose and the beach, basically town's called Los Gatos. My, uh, my family's from North Dakota, uh, moved out when I was younger. Um, most of them stayed out there. Uh, most of them were farmers. Um, and uh, I grew up you know, racing motorcycles and hanging out in the mountains. I mean, that was my, that was my thing. Um, I turned pro when I was 18 out of high school and moved to uh, Southern California to go give it a shot. It's kind of a place where you got to be a Los Angeles area is 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 where you go to to see if that's really going to work out for you. Unfortunately, I got hurt, and um, I uh, had to try and figure out other something else to do. Um, a friend of mine was uh, checking out uh, ASU, which I'd never heard of. I never looked at at colleges or anything, so I, I agreed to come out from um, Los Angeles and and get a tour. And I just kind of fell in love with Tempe and downtown and misters palm trees i was wearing no t-shirt and board shorts at midnight and and i was like this this is much better than than chino where i was at in southern california so i came out and um, decided to go to school obviously um the only thing i thought that would have been for me was um, i had four four of my uh friends growing up racing got paralyzed from racing and so i thought maybe that's something i want to get into um so i was going down the I did uh, uh, the spinal cord um, was the path I was going to go after research for that or treatment. And I I went into the pre-med program at ASU, um, ended up graduating with a pre-med degree in uh, biology. I got a minor in chemistry and a minor in exercise and wellness. And then right when I was doing my volunteering at hospitals before you um, take the MCATs, I decided that it really wasn't for me and started to thought, you know what? I think I just like the challenge of it that was it. Uh, it was really hard. Uh, I had to, uh, especially the, um, pre-med programs for sure. Organic chemistry is so it gives me nightmares. Um, but, uh, I had to look for something new and, and, um, I had got a, uh, I got a job offer at a kind of a startup bank here and never, nothing about finance, but, um, the people in it, the uh, founders of the bank were ex-athletes, a lot of them. Um, and, uh, they, they figured it'd be a good spot for me. And, and I, I basically, to me, it was a, a I was there for four years, went from uh, startup to sold to, um, uh, went public. And then it, we were a public traded bank. And then we got taken over by the FDIC in receivership to nothing. So from, from all the way from the bottom to the top to the bottom, again, I got to see how the, uh, the banking world and system worked, which I thought was like, a get, it was basically getting a um, MBA in finance for me. I think I learned a lot about, um business in general, um, how to finance it, how to, uh, how it can work and not work, how to, um, just, just, it was, to, it was, I enjoyed the loan committee meetings and, um, being around some of the people that have been doing this for a long time and just the mentors I got out of it was so valuable. And while the bank was going, to, going down, um, we, I was looking for something else to do. And decided to uh, start up a uh, mountain hunting ski lodge in the middle of Scottsdale. It was called the Lodge. That was back in 2007, and so that was my first uh, first real business venture, um, and uh, did really well. That 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 actually opened up the doors for me to start to do the things I really wanted to do, um, which was. Uh, um, help veterans and first responders. Uh, so uh, my best friend growing up is Jared Allen, who played in the NFL. And uh, him and I came together and started Homes for Warriors back in 2008 after Jared went on a USO tour uh, in the Middle East to bases, came back and said he wanted to do something. Um, I was kind of blowing off the conversation because I remember it very well. And I was like, yeah, it's, that that'd be great. I support the troops. And then Jared, I remember he looked at me and he said, well, what do you do? And I, and I had nothing. It was like a, I, I regurgitated a bumper sticker and I went home and spent my time on YouTube looking at stories of disabled veterans. it got combat injured veterans, what their problems were, housing issues, financially, all of these things. And then I, I, before I went to sleep, I Googled how to start a 501c3 and printed out the application on the IRS website and that was the very that was the start of um of Homes for Wounded Warriors uh it's called the full name is Jared Allen's Homes for Wounded Warriors so so because of the success of the um the first um you know sports bar i was able to focus all my time on this nonprofit and it, i and i loved it 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 changed it opened my eyes up to what uh, the men and women in uniform do for us um not just, uh, overseas, but also here locally on, on the, on the first responder side too. So that's all I did. We, and, and so really proud of that charity. It's, it's built, uh, 21 homes across the country now, all mortgage free, all custom. Um, and it's continuing to do that and, ho- and it'll be hopefully doing that forever. It's based out of the air park in, in North Scottsdale area, not uh, up in that area now. Um, and, but that's literally where I started to kind of look around and pay attention. I never served my community before. I never obviously served my country. Um, but to me, that was, that was my way. That was my way of finding, finding a way to, to give back. And then I'm branching off from that. Um, you know, wrote that, wrote the bylaws for that charity based off of, uh, the bylaws I got from the, the Tillman family. I grew up with the Tillmans back home in the Bay area. So, um, the Tillman foundation, I took, bits and pieces of it and kind of piece it together for, for how, uh, because I didn't have, we had, I had no idea what I was doing, um, back then since I wrote the bylaws, you know, very, very, uh, black and white. It was nothing more we could, nothing more we can do for people besides give them a home, which was fine. I uh, wrote it, I wrote it to be very specific. So people that donated money knew exactly what it was going to do. Um, so then I wanted to do other things. So we started other nonprofits up with some other friends and, and and now I'm a part of, um, the, Marine Raider Foundation, uh, Mission to Alpha, which is a, a passive nonprofit that can help first responders and uh, and military, um, as well as PTSD Foundation of America, which is is Camp Hope in Houston. Um, so through these all, all this nonprofit work, I uh, and it's just being in that world and that industry, I wanted to start up a company that hired veterans, but also one that um, not only hired veterans, but did something for the community, for first responders. I, I wanted to find a way to to put all these, these pieces together so I could, you know, uh, and, and change something. I really wanted it to be something that really made a difference. Um, so took a look at the policing industry, let's say, and then and the security industry and had an idea for how the major league baseball has a minor league system. I thought that, uh, local policing should have one as well. There's already an industry there of, of private security that you could use that to get experience for future police officers. Um, so it could, it, it's a way of, it's a stepping stone for future police officers, but it's already out there and it frees up police officers from doing the work that the community doesn't want them to do anyways, uh, which and which they don't want to do for the most part. Um, so there's already was there. So um, I wanted to find a way to, I had to first connect, start a business in private security, connect it to law enforcement, and then and put all these pieces together so it would work. And then I can get a pilot program launched. I pitched the idea to, to governor Ducey back in 2018 and said, this is what I want to do. I I, I'm not going to try it. If if you're not interested in this, in this idea, but if you are, I'm all in. And um, he said, yes, he made some introductions uh, to, for me. And I spent basically eight months going to meetings with police chiefs, um, commanders, city council members, mayors, DEA, FBI, DPS, the um, sheriff, Penzone. I, w- I went to the housing departments in the cities and state, and I went around and and uh, AZ Post, which um, regulates law enforcement here, and I went around and just and police unions, and I went around and I said, well, "How would you do it? What would you change? Which what should I do?" And basically spent 2018 figuring out how to to put all this together, and launched Wyndham Security in in 2019. And so now this has been this is a passion project of mine. Um, hiring veterans transitioning is a big one too. Uh, I've got a lot of experience with that. I found a lot of veterans that were not sure where they wanted to go, kind of blowing GI bills on wasteless, you know, waste of time degrees just to get stipend checks. I was like finding veterans that wanted to get into public safety as a career, and this and, and create a company that could be a, a landing pad for them, a place where they could make a, you know, get paid well. Learn some things, get some mentoring, open up their eyes, take a look around, and make a decision. you know, by freeing up some time to just to make the right decision, um, took some of the ideas from the military, a delayed entry program or delayed enlistment program, where it's a 12 month program prior to boot camp. Um, and I said, I want it's probably the same thing for let's do the same thing for policing, and that's what Wyndham was. We we tested out some uh some some of the we formed some relationships in the beginning with Phoenix PD, and then tried out the. Uh, product here, the the way we're going to do it in some of the um, lower income communities. And I wanted to see if we could do not play cop, not nothing like that, just just a better quality connected to local PD product. And then with people that are on their way into uh, a career and and in public safety. So not like just people that are picking up part time jobs or just retirees. This was like, let's find people on their way that are concerned and a sponge learning, want to do a good job, want to hustle. And uh, we did a ninety-day ninety-day uh, trial in um, in some communities, and after ninety days, we uh, ran the data and calls for service dropped in half. So right away, we were like, "Well, we got something here. This is freeing up local PD. This is uh, helping the community out. Let's take this model and and start to um, uh, plop it all over the valley." And then so now we're we're in one hundred and thirty communities now in, in Maricopa County, and we we take over a thousand calls every month, which would normally be. You know, potentially a nine one one. So we don't take nine one ones and go try and do it ourselves and play cowboy. We we know when to redirect, but we free up local PD, which we thought that's going to help us with some with solid relationships. And then eventually the city started to pick it up, and then they'd see, and they'd, uh, and then eventually uh, uh, the uh, police department hired us. And now we work directly for local police. So I call my pre cops. They're out there working with local police, and they're learning, and eventually um, they'll once they. Probably a few more months with me. They'll they'll, they'll apply to whichever police department um, works for them. So yeah, that was a long that was a long kind of discussion too. But Lastly, I an apprenticeship program, which is a pre-cop model. It's a, a pathway to law enforcement. is my program. Um, it's uh, it's it's basically prerequisites to the police academy, but it teaches you a lot of things besides just the tactics of it. It's about um, learning how to solve problems in the community. Uh, and while working for me, since we're in Low income, mid, high uh, student housing, public properties, downtown. You're gonna get a very well-rounded experience solving problems in every demographic that Maricopa County has to offer. So if you worked for me for six months. We're gonna find out if you're if you're uh, if you really should get into a police academy. If you really should. Um, that's that filter system I was talking about. If you can make it to the majors, if you're the right person for the majors. Um, so now that. Now that that's all kind of moving forward, and, and we got some things going, the next, the next big thing popping up is Scottsdale Community College is going to is has a, a spring 22. We have our first veteran pathway to law enforcement work and learn program. It's a nine month certificate program where you get taught by former uh, local police as well as uh, current police, and you get you learn you get a certificate in law enforcement while getting introduced to different police departments and working for Wyndham, so you can apply what you're learning. And the sponsoring uh, uh, police departments agencies is uh, MCSO, Scottsdale, Tempe, and Phoenix police departments. So, um, really cool opportunity. If people are interested in that, so this to me is a I'm it's a passion. I'm I'm trying to find a way to um, to. To free up police to to provide um, uh, work for veterans, to um, address some of the issues of, of police reform and the defund, defund the police that we hear a lot about, which I believe this is a really good solution for, um, and create a big, and, and also obviously create a, a, a successful business. So um, and we're doing really well, growing really uh, really fast. We got a new building in Phoenix now that we have our, more room for classrooms and our hand to hand training rooms. Um, so. Growing and growing and growing, and man, we're just at about the hundred employee mark. Really excited about it. A lot of people are. Uh, it's really fun to to see people come come into Wyndham and then um, use that as a step to wherever they want to go and end up somewhere. So, working on improving things, adding things that we can do, as well as signing up new uh, new customers, clients, municipalities, private, mostly real estate companies. So, uh, yeah, really having fun. Really having fun with this one. So,
1: I think it's an an interesting take on things, right? I mean. I- the why for you i think you've kind of already already hit it right i mean you you grew this passion for the veteran community in working with jared and getting this start and you know you talked about how you started the nonprofit and now you're kind of turning it into this business where you give that stepping stone from veterans you know coming out of active military to doing something else right staying in public mm-hmm. service a lot of them are very you know passionate about that but they're not sure how to do it, which I think is obviously one part of that. The other part that we kind of have to unpack here is you mentioned right at the very end. There, there's kind of, well, not kind of. There's a problem with policing in our country today, and we've got you know a country that's really kind of fractured on this defund the police movement and things that are going on inside of the you know the police system, countrywide, racially motivated and otherwise. That you know, kind of needs to be fixed. And then the last part, or, you know, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning is this kind of farm system, because the reality is security, for the most part, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on the statistics, and it's just something I saw on TV or movies or whatever. But a lot of times security guards are people who didn't quite make it into the police academy or failed out in the police academy, retired people, those sorts of things. And, And now all of a sudden, you've taken an opportunity to say, These are the people who aren't quite ready for the big leagues, like you said, and it gets them that training to then, one, decide, is this what I want to do? And two, to get them some training and exposure to what it what it really looks like so that they're even more prepared as they enter the police academy. Is that fair? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, you know. Private security, security guards, uh, bad reputation, really. You know, everyone thinks of Paul Blart and mall cop and unreliable (laughs) and sleepy guards and you. so that was one of the things I, I spoke to the governor about was I said, I, I can't, I can't do anything unless I can get local law enforcement to trust it. And they're never going to trust it unless they know what, unless there's, you know, the, the training comes from them, which is why I went to AZ post in the beginning, which is where all the training comes for the, for the police. And I was like, and, and the other thing is, um, most, most of the, uh, private security companies are more staffing agencies. It's a minimum wage. They're just putting bodies out there. So it was never going to go that route. Um, we had to, you know, we be- just believe that these are, these are not, these are some people that might need a little extra help before they can get into policing. But really it's about that. Most of the people we hire, are, they could go right now to police and not, they're not, or to law enforcement. They're just not sure exactly where they want to go yet. So you got to motivate them to, to come into Wyndham. So re- recruiting people into Wyndham was like, okay, well, private security, low pay. So let's look at where, where they put the, the the pay ranges, right? I think in the Valley right now for a seasoned security guard, you're going to be in the 14, 13 to $15 an hour range, right? Um, so we're a starting guard rookie at Wyndham makes 19. So you start at 19. So we put the pay right in between what the private security industry is paying here and what law enforcement pl- pays to start. So we want to be like a financial incentive too, like this isn't minimum wage. You're going to, you, know, you start out as a full time guard. You're going to start out at forty thousand a year. So it's not spectacular, right, when you first start, but it's not too bad either. So it was like, how do we attract people? Well, well, we the through the veteran networks. Now, if it's a veteran, and we don't only just hire veterans. We have a mostly over eighty percent of Wyndham is veterans. Um, my nickname is Civi. I get made fun of a lot. Um, I love working around veterans. so I have No problem at all. Um, but it's, it's finding, why would you come here? Well, you get to gain experience. You get a lot of introductions to maybe, uh, people that you wouldn't have been able to meet, work in interesting places, uh, give back to the community, work for, you had a, and, and the culture at Wyndham, that was a big, it has to be, the camaraderie has to be there. It's gotta be like help out, you know, coming out of the, a unit in the military. It's gotta feel safe. It's gotta feel like everyone's working together. It's also got to be high energy. Can't be this slow, sleepy place. So Wyndham's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun there, um, to see the team together. And because we're a 24 seven operation all over the Valley, people love working there. They love working, you know, working with each other, um, whether it's a veteran or not, they get that feel again, that, uh, it's competitive. It's a hustle. Um, so we had to create that. It was starting from scratch. It's like, how do you, you know how do how do you do that? You know what what do we do, especially with sometime in the very beginning, some of the work was pretty slow and not very exciting. Well, we just kind of we kind of kept preaching it and believing it and hiring the right team too. I mean the the infrastructure there was, you know, we got about fifteen people that work in the you know work the nine to five, and they're they got they're all very very talented, um, interesting, very really cool stories about what they did. A lot most of them uh, served in the military, and they went and contracted. They went and contracted back in the Middle East, bounced around. So we got people that have have a a lot, a lot of the people they recruited from that, from some of the private contracting companies that were, uh, that went away or the ones that they just knew some good people that wanted to keep them here. So really the talented leaders that people want to work for and inspire, that's what really what was another big one. Another big piece of this too, was getting them to come in. We're not, turning away people that uh, wouldn't turn away someone that was former law enforcement. But we, what we found is, you know, the people that, um, it's just not like a, a good retirement job. Like it's a hustle, but we, we expect, we have a product that we sell to our customers, private uh, companies and municipalities that, that we uh, pride ourselves on. And we, and we're a very, uh, we 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 like to think that we're just night and day different than the other companies. So we expect a lot out of our employees, and we and that's why we compensate them um, so well. So that was tough. I always joke and say it's a psychological reconstruction of the security guard. I mean that's really what what it is. We, we're up against that a lot of times is the reputation. They, people look at it and they just go, they already cause they think they already know who we are. But it's so fun to see the the positive results that come out of it. It's so fun to see the happy whether it's property managers or, um, city managers or even police officers that at first were just like, you know, skeptical about it. Um, what we're really trying to do, but, um, we have, a, we have a lot of wins and, uh, everyone gets to share it at the company. So it's, it's a big family. It's a, it's a, it's a fun place to be. I, I absolutely enjoy it, especially for a civvy like me.
1: Yeah. So you may not even realize it, but you've kind of got, a. Uh somebody here in studio, our producer, Daryl, we've had a conversation about this and he's got friends that have been police officers. He wanted to be a police officer. And he, so he's got these friends that are kind of disenfranchised now with the policing system and, you know, what's going on in our country and this, this fracture, you know, and so, you know, not to, not to steal from the studio owner, Karen, who would love Daryl to be here for the rest of his life, but, If he's considering still law enforcement or what do you say to somebody like him or his friends who are disenfranchised about what Wyndham security is potentially doing to kind of help, you know, this defund the police movement and and what the police looks like in the future?
2: Yeah, well, so a big, a big piece of, um, uh, now I recognized early on that, uh, you know, the, the training for the, the farm, the farm system, the prerequisite training programs and everything. It can't just be, it can't just come from law enforcement. It can't just come from, it has to come from the community too. It's a big piece of it. I just came from a, a, a meeting straight from a meeting with uh, AP Powell with, with H- Arizona, and he puts together a lot of amazing uh, bridge forums um, that brings in uh, people from the community as well as law enforcement together to have these conversations and talk about these things. So I, I truly believe that you know what, it's not it's not one side or the other who who gets to select it it's more of you got it's a, you got to work together and, put, and and i believe that the community has to have a big stake in uh, how they're policed and so they they need to that's why i came from that meeting was to find out what am i missing here what are some things that i need to look for in, in fe- if i'm going to produce future police officers what are some things that i can train on what are some things that i cannot this is a you know it's it's I don't think anyone, no one's ever done something like this before is kind of what I've been told. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm going down the right path. I'm not trying to go, go only on one side of this and then try and convince the other. I'm trying to go to both and have them both be a part and be stakeholders in creating it. Um, so, you know, unfortunately I was, you know, I was kind of, I'm paying attention too to especially the, the numbers of, um, you know, African-American police officers going down and down and down. And it's not surprising, um, if, if your immediate uh, community family, if your world is, uh, hasn't, you know, maybe a negative or a, a going downward or a, a dwindling uh, uh, with uh, support for, for police, it's going to be really hard to become a police officer because you're, you know, you might want to feel like you're going against your family or going against your, your world. So it's unfortunate because I think there's a lot of value in having a diverse police department, especially when the city is diverse too, as well. So, in any of these changes that, uh, in, in police reform, and it's not like, it's not us versus them because, you know, a lot of police officers can recognize that it needs to be changed as well. It's gotta be, you're changing with the times you're changing with, uh, the community and everyone's gotta be on board. It's got, it's gotta be, uh, it can't be the us versus them mentality. You know, and I, you know, I always joke or I always say that, you know, I don't, I don't call myself or Wyndham a pro police or an anti-police. I've always said we're with police up, down, better or for worse. Like we're, we got a, the, the police officers and men and women that wear the uniform, they live here too, right? they they, it's not like they're, everyone's ecstatic about what's going on today. I mean, it's not like you can't, deny um who's responsible and who's not you can't deny there's mistakes you can't deny there's that people that shouldn't belong there which is a big piece of the filter system like i talked about like you to me it's a you if you think of major league baseball and you bring somebody straight straight from high school into the majors then and sometimes you find out that they're not a good fit right well what happens you know you lose some money or something. Well, what happens in in uh, public safety? You find so, you find out somebody isn't a good fit. There, you know, bad things happen, and that is what I'm I'm talking about. Is you can you can filter out the people that just don't have what it takes to become a police officer in today's world, and you'll learn that at you'll learn that at Wyndham. You're gonna be your doesn't matter what your background is, where you come from. You got you spend six months at Wyndham. You're gonna be in every pretty much every demographic. And if you're not, if you don't have uh, the ability to and just a, be a good person, solve problems, be smart and de-escalate, and not, then that's some, some, unfortunately, some things can't be taught. So if you make, if, if someone makes a mistake at Wyndham, you're not armed and you don't have police powers. So it's much, you're less, it's less likely to become a, a major issue where somebody gets hurt or killed. Right. So that's why I always say that this is this to me that this 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 would definitely help solve that and, and every recruiter i've spoken to in, in law enforcement has agreed that man if you had a report card on everybody before they got to police academy before the taxpayers spent the money on on because it's expensive to get run people through it um it, this is also a piece of this model it helps with the attrition rates too which saves saves money it's also cheaper so as far as the um you know but however you, whatever you look at defund the police, it's a lot, you know, one of the arguments is freeing up cash for programs in the community that help bring up the community and, and end some of these cycles. It's much cheaper to go this route as well. Police recruiting is down. Well, we're a, we, uh, we fill in, we fill in the gaps and take on the stuff that police don't want to do anyways, and we're not armed and we can't arrest people. So a lot of the lower liability stuff in the communities, um, you know, suspicious person, homeless, uh, sometimes domestic uh, violence issues. We uh, we do not have the ability to arrest, um, and for the most part, a lot of things, a lot of the things, our 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 role is to solve the problem without having to call nine one one. Now we know when to call nine one one, and we're definitely not going to risk try and put our, our our guards at risk. But it frees up the police to focus on violent crimes. It frees up the police to focus on what I think most people would agree that they should be focusing on. And not some, not some of this lower liability stuff that tends to that they don't have the people for anyway. So that's the way I look at it. I think it's a, it's a skeletal system that would work in in any major city. It would free it up. So, so a skeletal system that handles the community problems, but also gives future police officers experience that they could use prior to getting to a police academy. So when they get to the police academy, they have something to talk about. They understand it. They've been in those situations you get a lot of, you know, if you go straight from no job, (laughs) nothing into trying to apply to the police, uh, to, to a police academy, you don't really have much you don't really, it's really hard to tell how that person's going to do. Now the military is great because you travel around the world for the most part, and you're going to be around all kinds of situations. You have to figure things out. College is okay too. If you're you're involved, great. Um, so, but there's a lot like, there's a lot of growing up you have to do before you become a police officer. So, I think this is a an opportunity for that, and it's not a, a reinvent, It's not a new industry. It's already there. So why don't we just leverage what's already there, and uh, and try and, and try and make a change here? Or not. I'm doing my best to get in front of the um, anyone in the community that will talk to me, whether they're for it, against it, whatever. I want. I want this to be something that that helps. Um, which is why I was just with, um, like I said, AP Powell. Like, it, I just he's put together so many great conversations, and that I thought. I, I wanted to see what his thoughts were on, on what we're trying to do here and to get his support behind it. and to ask some questions and things that I'm not thinking about. Cause um, you know, I didn't grow up in that community. I'm not going to say that I did when I didn't, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the mountains and the sticks and I never had to go through anything like that. And I, I gotta make sure that I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't know everything. I gotta make sure that this is going to work. I want, like I said, in the beginning, I, It's not just getting the police to support, it's getting the community and the police to support it. So,
1: yeah, I think I think any rational person in our country realizes that there's a need for for change inside of the police system. Right. And unfortunately, we live in a world where it's, you know, 144 characters at a time or, you know, the soundbite, you know, whatever. And so they they choose words an awful lot of the time that don't necessarily uh, mean what they're trying to do, right? Because I don't think anybody's really trying to completely defund the police and say, we do not need police, right? But the movement is defund the police. And so then you've got people who don't look into it and think, well, they're trying to get rid of police. We still need police. Like, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And, And that's not really what's trying to be done here. But because we use words that that engage people's emotions, then people get emotional on both sides without fully understanding what either side's trying to to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So we definitely need to, to reform the the system and there needs to be something better. And I, I think this farm system is a great way to kind of put it together. And, and you know, we're, you're testing this in the sixth largest city in, in America. That's a very diverse city. Mm-hmm. We've got what, 8 million people or so, you know, here in the Phoenix Metro area. And so it's a great place to, to test this out. But the biggest thing that I think that, that you said that really makes me think that this is a, a way to, to really change things is your guards are unarmed and do not have police power. But they're dealing with a lot of these things, like you said, that the police don't necessarily want to be dealing with anyway. But this is a training ground for them to learn how to de-escalate things and to deal with problems that happen on a regular basis without ever even thinking about pulling a firearm, Mm -hmm. right? And so it teaches them and trains them that even when they do get to that point and they're in a police situation and they're actually, you know, with those police powers, they've got a badge, they've got a gun, they're still not thinking about pulling their weapon until it's absolutely necessary.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Thinkers before shooters, you know, kind of a, a mentality. It's you you know, we, what we end up doing a lot in, in, um, in the public, it, public properties that we're at and downtowns, et cetera, is you're going to see people commit crime, right? Whether it's drinking in the parking garage, you know, obviously urinating in public or doing something. Those are, those are opportunities to what we end up doing is we just track it. Uh, and then we, and then our, we, our approach to it is to go up there and let them know, Hey, can't do that. This is why. And, um, you know, if you do it again, then uh, we, we have to call the police or don't. There's too many. There's, there's a lot of police around here. You just knock that off, you know, the little things that shouldn't turn. It shouldn't be, a, you know, shouldn't, which in the past has been a lot of times call 911 and there's someone doing this or that. And it's like, um, I don't, I don't, that's not what police want to do. I mean, they're that we want them to focus on, on real safety issues. Um, like I said, responding to violence and responding to bigger issues and drug trafficking and big things that we're concerned about human trafficking. If a guard sees something that's obviously a very dangerous situation, now if nobody's getting harmed right away, like if there was somebody uh, in danger, then they, then, then we're going to respond to it no matter what. We're going to call nine one one or dispatches or however we do it, radio it in, call nine one one. We're going to respond if someone's life is in danger or whatever. But we're, uh we also are, are we're not going to respond to something that we feel would escalate to a situation where you need to have the police there so so i think a lot of times we kind of we we uh, the system would filter out calls into nine one one too, as long as you had the, everyone's on the same page for what it should be so obviously you're not you're not armed with a firearm um so you're more likely to observe and report and stay back unless like i said someone's in immediate danger or there's an arson going something going where someone uh lost a life or, or someone getting injured is, is a concern even lost property but um um. Yeah. No. It's a. You know. I. I think it makes just makes a lot of sense. But I, that's why. And I, we all believe in it, and we all believe that this is actually an answer. This is a. This is a solution. And it's not like in the local police here, and everyone's been so really supportive about it, and giving advice, and offering. This is these are some good concerns and things you want to think about. So it wasn't. I haven't hit a wall anywhere yet on this. It was just getting it bill getting it bill and kind of putting things together and then getting and then sh- then then at you then you start using data and showing results now so we're the only company um I believe still we're the only private company that has the same uh software use the same software that law enforcement uses so we have the same system of sharing inf- of of sharing videos and data back and forth so we can share it directly with uh the police departments prosecutors um you know detectives etc so and and we are i think we got to be one of the largest private Uh, owners of uh, body cameras of private companies. So I think we've got, I don't know, something like 56 Axon cameras. So every single guard at at Wyndham has a, is always wearing a camera, every single one. Um, Very valuable, obviously. And then that, that's how you're sharing a lot of information with the, the departments. That was a big piece of it too. You know, I was, when I was talking to the governor, I said, you know, that I always hear this, the motto is see something, say something. I said, well, between the private security industry and, and local law enforcement—it see something, say nothing. There is no system for it, and that's that's a shame because there's a lot of um, a lot of valuable information that would be useful to to local police if you can get it to them. So that was another big piece of it too. Is we want to show some value here as well, if we're going to be in these situations that we could we could uh, we can get it to the right people to do some good. So that's been a big uh, a big piece of this, and then we've we've gotten a lot. Um, been very helpful we've been told by local police by by sharing this inf- kind of information that that's very useful so um there's a lot it's it's there's a lot more to it of uh, there's a lot a lot more benefits to it than just a, a few different things here and there so I just yeah I just I, I i believe in I really believe in the system and um and I'm looking forward to continuing to grow it all the way all throughout Maricopa county and if it's if, and looking at the data it shows success we you could pop this into another metropolitan city that has the same you know struggles and issues and think of seattle san francisco portland los angeles you know those areas are they're having the same problems concerns and like you were kind of alluding to if it works here it could work anywhere so um yeah but i'm looking into getting into more discussions about what am i missing what what are some what are the pros and cons what but uh I, i keep pushing it and pushing it because i keep getting a um, positive reinforcement from from people when I talk about this is why I think this is this is a much better solution than what what I, what I've heard out there from the to fund the policers so
1: yeah so let's let's talk a little bit about the data <clears throat> that you guys have and you may not have specific numbers you know off the top of your head but what kind of data have you provided at this point back to the governor and or the the local police? groups in each of the different cities tempe and so forth where you're where you're operating as the number of nine one one calls or the number of actual police uh, officers that have had to respond to certain things because you guys have been able to to pick that up because that speaks to the the amount of money that can be saved by this program as well mm-hmm.
2: yeah um the updates to the to the my my updates to the governor's office is just kind of on progress, or if I ever need any help or something, I'll kind of let them know what I what I discovered. Um, what we discovered um, at Wyndham was, you know, we thought we were going to be sending all the information to one central hub, and from there it would get disseminated to where it needs to go and do some good. What we learned was um, it's actually more effective if we send that information to local uh, precincts and departments as opposed to one. Central. So uh, the information we send is to is at a local level, unless um, unless it's something that's shared with the county. So um, a lot of the data we're given is based on is trends that we start to see. So we 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 track everything. So for example, to make it simple, um, uh, let's say a, a, a city block in in Phoenix. Um, if we st- we always run analytics on the data of what we're seeing, what what we run into. And, and we'll run analytics and show look we're, we're seeing an upward trend in um, narcotics or something we'll, and we'll say and so we'll start we'll deliver those these reports to uh, a local um, you know police officer lieutenant or mostly in crime uh, prevention crime free you know, parts of the uh, of the department and we'll start to give them a heads up now this is what we're starting to really see over here and that but we get we get police reports sent back to us as well so every day we get we get all the reports on on that involved properties we're in so we can kind of take the information from what the police are seeing and what we're seeing and kind of run it together and say this is what this is what's going on here uh, which is which is valuable to the you know patrol officers because they can kind of get a heads up especially when it's down to you know a specific property and you know, say like look there's a lot of activity on this property it's kind of looking like you know we're seeing a lot of traffic in and out quick stops in and out. Um, that information is valuable. A lot, a lot of some of the communities, unfortunately, you know, start seeing these upticks and prostitution and things that we'll just send this information off to and, and, and give it to them so they can get a heads up. Like I said, the extra eyes and ears on the street of what's going on. Now there's, we've been involved in, um, in some pretty major narcotics busts in the Valley too. So where we got Someone, a detective would reach out in the beginning, um, whether it's all through one uh, one department or it's shared, uh, sometimes it's shared with whether it's a county and or cities that work together, asking questions for what they're looking for. And we'll run backwards through our data uh, on what's been happening on this particular, you know, on this block or in this city. And we've been able to provide um, a lot of valuable information, pictures, videos, uh, reports that led to some pretty big busts um, that took a lot of drugs off the street. And a lot of that's because we're there, we're there and we're keeping track of everything. And um, especially if we're searching, um, you know, bolos and be on the lookouts for certain people, the, the, the police officers will or um, someone will reach out to us and say, hey, this here's a description. Have you seen, you know, we 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 took a uh, we had a couple weeks ago, we had a pretty big, pretty big bust of a um, kind of a, a repeat there's a couple that kept just was just robbing apartment communities all over the place and they were using U-Haul vans and stuff and we had it on in our system all their so every guard in those areas that was out at night you know we use a, a lot we have 20 patrol cars so we have patrol cars that are always are bouncing out there and we put it out there on there and um, the first night we caught them we caught them and we got them arrested so um, so we're always trying to you know you know use that information to and, and and do something with it you know, uh, obviously the person responsible for the properties, if it's on private properties, yes, they want to know what's going on. They're running a business too, but, uh, local police also want to get a heads up too. So they, hopefully they can get some dangerous people off the street, you know, um, on the private side, right. For the private companies that were, uh, a lot, a lot of work we do for apartment communities, especially um, we're constantly giving them information where they can do some good as well, especially with getting you know tenants out that shouldn't be in that community that are making it hard for families, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if we're able to handle them and, and, and get to a resolution on that, it's freeing up the police from having to deal with something like that. Like we've given them everything they need to um, process, you know, whether it's evictions or even um, notices to them that they need to change or, or got to go. So, This this is the work we're doing. uh, If it's working, the private work we're doing is not new. It's just um, we have the 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 systems that we use to do it are are different, and we learn those from police. We learned a a better way to patrol apartment communities by asking local police for what you know. This is the old way of what everyone's doing. What what do you think would be more effective? Um, so we actually use something called the Copra curve. It's a, it's a version of predictive policing, but we don't do it. We don't, we don't, it, that's kind of like a, it's one of those words. You don't want to say predictive policing, but I'll use it because we use data um, to find out when on properties, not, not where to go in communities, but where, when, and w- when, and uh, where on actual properties it, are these issues happening? So we can focus our attention on, on, on first of all, figure out why, and then be there hopefully to, um, uh, to prevent it or to deal with it when it's occurring. A lot of the things that we we do things a little bit different, but we free up police, we make the community safer, um, and, and it's working. So, and like I said, it's giving people, men and women the opportunity to gain experience and, and to get them fired up too. a lot of, a lot of working, uh, solving a problem, working with local PD and, and, and making something better for a family gets people excited about the, uh, you know a career as a police officer or 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 something in public safety so you know.
1: yeah i mean i think you said you know this isn't anything new i mean this this type of private security has existed for decades right yeah. it's not that you're doing anything new but i think you're you're doing it in a different way to where the people who work for you are committed have a background in certain things but they're looking towards the future and want to do a good job as opposed to not everybody's this way, but as opposed to a retired police officer who's just making some extra money on top of their pension at the end of their working Mm -hmm. years, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think you get a little bit different outcome. But, you know, you mentioned the apartment community specifically. So kind of the last question I have for you as we wrap this up is why apartment communities as opposed to other industries, businesses, all those sorts of things that you could be providing private security
2: for? Because um, speaking to... City Councils and to um, police officers and leaders in, in um in policing the question was asked where what bogs you down what is really what are you spending what are a lot of calls for service for um it wasn't just you know high density communities multifamily apartments right it was also um convenience stores there were some other things on there that we we looked at as well and we had we had gone through some meetings to look at is this something that we really want to do or or um maybe 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 not. So it was, we, we wanted to make sure that the work, now we've turned down a lot of work that wasn't really going to be a good fit for us or ones that we frankly felt like it should not be a private company doing. Um, but apartments are uh, are responsible for a lot of calls for service and apartments already have security for the most part done it was completely done a different way than what we do um even the ones that are out there are competitors in this industry they do it at the old-fashioned way um which we feel is a very ineffective uh, way of doing it um we do it we do it a much different way so it was like okay good experience builder um solves a problem for the city these are families that live in live in apartments it's uh it's something that we wanted to obviously show in results that Positively impact families is a big deal. It's a motivator. Um, so and freeing up police, like we said, to focus on violent crimes and more things that they are better equipped to, to deal with as well as uh, want to deal with was a was a better fit. So that was that was a big reason for it. Um, you know, we've bit, the other a part of the police reform too. Just throw it in there was uh, finding out different ways. Well, who should respond to homeless or men- people with men- a mental illness or an, having an episode? And people have looked at other options. And I've always compared them to it. Well. Some of us use a fire department or use a social worker. And I just knowing from experience, the thing that you have to be able to do is respond quickly. Now we have a patrol grid across the valley where for the most part our goal is to to try and respond to every call within ten minutes. So we're pretty much like we're Pretty, everything is at least, it's, tw- it's 20 minutes or less is kind of our thing. That's very hard to do in the Valley. Now, if someone calls into 911 and they relay it to a social worker who's sitting in an office and expect them to get in the car and get there in time, that's pretty much impossible. You're scheduling future appointments. We have the ability because of our patrol model and grid because the cars are already out there floating on their paper routes, we call them, in our dispatch center is we're going to respond fast. So we're going to be able to respond much quicker. Which is why we're being looked at from some of the police departments around to potentially be an option for someone that a 911 that comes in and it's a nonviolent. This is more of a let's just go go fix the go solve the problem because we have the ability to respond very quickly. And that is a struggle with using like a like I said, using social workers who might on the scene be a great option. But if they show up an hour late, an hour later. How else are you going to get someone to respond all over the Valley if they're coming from offices? Now that's the old system I was talking about as well from our competitors is they'll have like a dispatch center with a bunch of cars and that could take off from there. We have using our technology, just like in a nine one in nine one one uh, at the police departments where we have dispatchers who have them, all the maps are up in the car. You can see the cars moving around and they're going to choose the closest vehicle to respond to those thousand, that 1000 calls we get every month. And that is, um, one of the thing, one of the tough parts about what they're trying to, I've, say, I've seen in police reform with using social workers is if you can't respond quick enough, it's a, it's a mood point. It, you're not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to be, if you don't want the police to be there, then you got to find something else, which is why we thought this is just another opportunity for why this, this, in our opinion, is more effective.
1: Yeah. So of the thousand calls per month that it sounds like you guys get on an ongoing basis, do you have statistics that show how many of those previously would have gone to a, a police car being dispatched or a police officer being dispatched?
2: Yeah, uh, we, we we tend to look at uh, we, we we look at data based one property at a time. We we combine them all for looking at a city city block. We can we can do whatever we want with the data, and it's the I would say. 90% of the calls could be considered a 9, would, would have just gone to a 911. The other 10% are would be like lease violations. Someone's in the amenities after hours or <laughs> a dispute that is kind of more of a, you want them to get in trouble with the property manager not the police. Um, the rest of them are suspicious persons. Noise complaints is obviously a big one depending on the season of the year. Homeless, but as well as uh, domestic uh, arguments that are obviously loud enough to where they're disruptive. So that's the majority of what those were. And and typically those would be a call that they would, it could be a non-emergency call to, you know, to 911, but it'd still be a call that would get on the list for some patrol officer to have to go deal with. Um, vandalism as well is another one too. So there's a lot of things that we already handle that are it, it are things that free up police, whether the police, not, not like a, you know, they're going to respond right away to it, but it's going to be on their list. There, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one that's bogging them down for the day. And I don't see why we want police focusing, dealing with things like that. Let's let them them work on the things that that we really care about.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big deal. I mean, I think, you know, there's a potential opportunity for Wyndham as time goes on to specifically train your guards and officers to, to deal with just those types of disputes, right? And then like you said, you're working truly with the community. Yeah. The police is just there for that violent, you know, and they've got special training for those types of things, but everything else kind of reroutes to a company like Wyndham Security. I think it's I think that's a great way to look at how things can be truly reformed and different in our country.
2: Yeah, much cheaper. It is much cheaper to go that route and picture, you know, you got you got Wyndham gets there within, you know, within 20 minutes, maybe some, some areas were there in two minutes. It just depends on where the cars are. Sometimes you get lucky, you know, and then at that moment, um, there, the, the, the guard that on the scene is going to make the assessment right away. And, and there are obvious, there's tons of examples where the guards gotten there and right when he's seen it, he's, he's more of a, okay, this is an observant report. 911, you know, he tell, he radios in dispatch and say, you know, send the police this is why. And then they are extra eyes and ears and they're extra on there. So when the police show up, they're not blind. So a lot of times it's, you go in there first, just to check things. You're going there quickly, get there quickly, make a quick assessment and say, we need the police. Um, so, you know, I think, so when the police are on their way, it's important. So, um, yeah, I, I believe this is the right way to do it.
1: Yeah. I I think you're doing some great work. We, we certainly appreciate, and I say we, and you know, Landon's here in spirit with us, but we appreciate you coming on the show. You know, we talked in the pre-qualification call. We have a lot of things in common with you anyway. We're big into the veteran community. Neither one of us serve, but we have family members that did, and we, you know, we contribute to veteran, you know, nonprofits and so forth. But. We also both used to race motocross, and so yeah. we have that in common as well. And and both have ties to Southern California as well. So it it's been fun to have you here. It's it's real easy to see the passion that you have for what you do, which I think is awesome. You know, they say if you if you do something for your job that you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, I I kind of screwed up the the wording there, but you know what I'm what I'm yeah. saying. And you yeah. can you can feel that from you. It's not it's not just words. It's not that Dylan's here you know, trying to tell the story of Wyndham and drive business for Wyndham and find new employees, but it truly comes from your heart and you can feel that. And we appreciate that.
2: Yeah. uh, Thank you. I, I, I definitely, uh, since I, since starting in the, on the nonprofit side with veterans and first responders, I always, I always wanted to serve, you know, I always wanted to, um, to to give back and this for me I get to share in in it. Whenever we have a, a win in a community, I I get to feel like I was a part of that. You know that feeling I've always wanted. I walked into a, a Navy recruiter's office right when I got injured, and uh, started and took a lot of the tests and placement tests and everything. And that's the path I was taking. And then um just and then went a different way. So I've always had that like maybe that was what I should have I should have done. And that was for me. But now I think. I like where I'm at. I like what I'm doing. I will always be on the, uh, I'll always be there for when the men and women get injured and, and for their families if they get killed. I'm never going to let off on that. But I really, this this to me is a passion project that I think it, I think does a lot of good, especially, you know, and, and I don't know how it's going to sound, but especially for me. So.
1: Yeah. I couldn't think of a better way to end the show. So thanks so much for
2: being here, Dylan. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This
0: was fun. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners.